And today's topic is social awkwardness. And Joe and, I, Joe and I are also joined by Joe's son, Boo, for this episode. So, um, you know, what is, I guess we should start off with talking about what is social awkwardness. What is social awkwardness? Well, I'm, I can give you the technical definition of it. I, I, I think it's PTSD. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it down just a little bit, like the layman's terms. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, let me tell you what PTSD is. You know, and PTSD is a, a psychiatric disorder that can occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event such as a natural disaster, a serious accident, being physically assaulted, or being sexually assaulted, or witnessing someone being killed, or seriously injured. You know, basically a traumatic event. And but for the, for the show. I think, you know, when we talk about so social awkwardness, we're going to be talking in the sense that, you know, the things that people experience in prison and, and take with them when they leave and go home, you know, the, the things that, you know, a lot of people in here would call institutionalized or things like that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about social awkwardness. Would you, would you agree with that, Boo, or not? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Most definitely. I think PTSD uh, coincides with what you just explained and then like you said a lot of people would call it institutionalization and to add on to that social awkwardness social awkwardness to me is it's just you could for some you would develop a way to communicate in a comfort comfortably with people that you know and then for some reason when you get out into society leaving prison when you get around unfamiliar people or you start back trying to adjust to your normal life for some reason when you get around people for some reason your brain shuts off and it's almost like you forget how to communicate how to socialize how to you know yeah yeah i always when i when i think about it i always think about that remember the movie friday with ice cube mm -hmm. you had uh, uh terry cruz in it and cat williams you remember that scene where they're at the party the house party mm -hmm. and terry cruz is standing at the back of the room he's standing there he's got yeah Butch your own him and all this and that and, and talking penitentiary talk, right? And then, you know, Cat Williams had to tell him, Damon, you ain't in prison no more. You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah. That's that's kinda like, you know, what what I'm talking about, you know, with social you like you just said, you get out there, you you don't know how to communicate with people. You don't know how to you know what I'm saying, assimilate back into society in a way that's normal and healthy. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hear a lot of guys when uh, <clears throat> I talk to some guys out there on the streets or whatever and some of them tell me they sleep with the light on, they sleep on the floor, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the kind of stuff that you do in here, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I know for me, like, even to this day, uh, when I go to visit, whether it be with you, boo, or, or anybody else, baby, anybody that I go to visit and see, my family, when I'm walking through the door in the hallway, before I even get to the other side of that door where, you know, people in the visitation gallery, I'm anxious. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, I'm thinking in my mind, like, you know, even though I know my family's on, on the other side of the door, I'm thinking about all the other people that are in there. They're going to be looking at me. What are they going to be thinking? And I'm, and I'm nervous, and I'm anxious until I get out there. And once I get out there, you know, i got to take a few minutes to calm myself down, you know, and, I, and mm -hmm. I'm aware of that. So I, I trip about some people may not even be aware of it, but you come out there and you sit there, and for a minute, you know, you, you, you want to talk, but then it's like you feel funny trying to talk. You, you just, I feel out of place sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and I know a lot of other people go through the same thing, you know? Most definitely. I know I know myself, you know, like you said, you talk to people that's on the outside. I, I talk to people that's done, you know, a lot of time and come home and deal with this. And like you said in the beginning, a lot of them don't even realize what it is. They're able to say, they're able to say things like, man, you know, when I'm around or such and such, man, I don't want to be, I just, I just don't be wanting to talk. Like I'd be, like I'm anti-social. People always ask me, what's wrong with you? Like why you ain't this or why you ain't said nothing? And a lot of them don't know that that's what they're struggling with. A lot of them don't know. Yeah, they don't know what it is. Right. Yeah, they don't know what's going on with them. And, that, and if you don't know what's going on with you, how can you get help for it? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then on top of that, it'll make it worse because, you know, a lot of them start to believe that, you know, they're weird. They're like, it's like, you know, what's, you get to a place like, what's wrong with me? Like, you start to beat up on yourself, you know, because it's like you can't get a breakthrough. Like, you're looking at everybody else with a sense of normalcy. And then and then your brain, you're looking at, like, Okay, I'm the oddball in here. Like, why I can't, why I can't communicate like that? Why I ain't laughing like that? Why am I, you know, on eggshells? Why am I looking around the room when everybody else just communicating, socializing, and, you know, having a decent time? And then your brain, you know, you start to, you know, you go into fight or flight mode. And nine times out of ten, you 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 believe. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot of guys. They uh, excuse me, a lot of guys they they're still in prison. You know, I remember, right. uh, yeah, one of the family members, I remember when he got out, I'm not going to call his name, but he got out, and, and I heard, you know, when I was called home, people would tell me he'd still be doing push-ups with his state boots on. You know, well, not state boots, but we always here wear Timberland boots, right? The yes. beige kind, light beige. He still got on his Timberland boots with the with the sweatpants, and he's doing push-ups on Facebook <laughs> like he's still in his yeah. cell. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it took yeah. a long time. And I know the individuals you're talking about, it actually took a long time for this individual to actually admit and see that they were having right. a problem. They just recently, you know, started, you know, taking therapy and, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, and finding, you know, taking steps to try to better their situation. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's bad. It's bad. And it, it'll cause people. I know one time you were telling me about a, a family member that, uh, I don't know if he was a family member or not, let me take that back. But anyway, he had been in prison and got out, this certain guy. And he was at a job, and he was feeling awkward. And he, eventually, he oh, yeah. ended up quitting the job. Mm-hmm. He didn't feel right. He didn't feel comfortable yeah. around people. You know what I'm saying? He didn't, uh, he didn't know what it was. He didn't, he didn't, and he could not identify what it was. And he was, yeah. he, was having, he was having a hard time with even accepting them trying to train him. You know, they, you, it's like... You have to, you go through the same process everybody else go through. But for some reason, coming out of prison, uh, it was like, it was, I guess the way he was explaining, it was like, he felt, he felt inadequate. He felt incompetent. He felt like he couldn't get it. And at the same time, and then he's not even wanting to ask questions. Like his brain just literally shut off to, you know, I'm just going to leave. I'm quitting. I, I can't, I don't want to do this. Instead of, he couldn't even cough up the carriage and say, well, I don't understand that. Because he's watching everybody else who owned the job, who had to go through the same training. Yeah. They, they're, they're doing it, and it looked like at ease. So with right. him, and right. for some reason, that social, social awkwardness kicked in, that anxiety kicked in, and he felt like he wasn't going to be able to get to the place of, of knowing how to do it. I, have, I, I got another friend of mine, really like my best friend, like he called me often about yeah. you know walking in rooms like you said he could pull up you know be listening to music doing fine 
But the minute he pulls up in this driveway and gets out of this car and gets ready to walk into this house or an event or church or wherever he's getting ready to walk into, his brain shuts down immediately as soon as he sees the people. Mm-hmm. And like, right. you know, and on the surface, a lot of them probably can't tell sometimes there's something going on because he trying to adapt, but he knows within himself, he's not the bubbly, funny, uh, had a sense of humor that he would normally have. He knows he's not that. You know what I'm saying? And he actually reflects back to his prison family. When he say, man, brother, we was in the cell together or doing this or going to the gym, yeah. like kicking yeah. it. When I'm around people, now that he know family members, he's like, man, I could just tell, bro. He was like, man, I just ain't myself. Like, I don't know what it, like, he, he mentions it often. I've had, <laughs> listen, I still have those moments now. I've been home going on five years, and I still have them. Like, recently moving out here to Dallas, like, going to L.A. Fitness, when I walk in, these people work. These people working out at their own pace, doing it how they doing it. They not looking around. They not watching who's working out, how they working out. They not worried about you doing more, you lifting more than me. That my my brain was overworking itself doing all that. I'm looking at how people dress. I'm not I'm not willing to ask questions because it looked like this person knows certain things. I don't I don't want to go in certain areas. I didn't want to go where wow. it was packed. And then when I noticed that, like I would, I wouldn't work out as long as I planned to work out. I'd leave. I'd go to the gym, and then in the gym, when I, when I'm getting ready to walk in the gym, basketball is my heart. You know what I'm saying? And I actually, and I actually struggled that with that a little bit in prison as well. But when I went to different places, like when I walk in the gym, like I'm ready to play ball. But the minute I walk in and see everybody. It's like I forget all my moves. It's almost like I forgot how to shoot a layup. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like yeah. That, that that social awkwardness kick in. Like I'm everybody turning around, and I don't know if I'm wondering if they if they know how much time I did or know what I went in for. Or in my head, I'm people thinking, oh, he acting weird, or he acting institutionalized, or this person, man, what's up with him? Like I'm my brain is doing all of this instead of just wow. being instead of trying to be normal. Even yeah. telling myself, man, just, you know, which I'm getting better at it now because I've been able to identify over time since I've been home when it hit, which helps me a lot. I know when it hit me, so I, I found ways to fight against it. You know what I'm saying? I found ways to laugh and go up to, I fight through going to asking questions or, you know, you know who, who got next. I wouldn't even ask that. I wouldn't even ask who had next. I just wait to get picked up. Now I come in like I used to, you know, try to draw that same confidence I had when I was younger. Man, who got next in here? Even though people don't know, it's killing me to say it. But I, I you know, I just go ahead and say it. Hey, hey, who got next in here? And by the time yeah, I you got to force yourself. Yeah, yeah, you got to force it. By the time I do it, though, I see the reaction. I'm just, now I'm on a normal frequency with them. Oh, brother, you got Nate, brother, you Nate, let me run with you. Boom. It was just that simple. It was just that simple to break out and say something. You know what I'm saying? But I've had it doing, like, you know, when I do my stuff in the mall, I had it, I've had it in the mall. Sometimes people will walk by and they'll be like, man, you need to give up, man. You know, you know, you probably could stop more people. And I, and they didn't know. I appreciate the push. 
but they didn't know. I got to pace myself in here because after so long, you know, I, I get in my head. I don't want to talk. I don't want to approach people. I'm hoping people just see the sign, see the book, and they pull over and yeah. stop. I'll have a casual conversation and boom. But I had to fight through that, seeing all of that traffic, yeah. people moving, people laughing, people with their family in and out of stores, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And that social anxiety kick in, and it's like, do they know what I'm, what I did? Do they know? Do they know how? If I stop this person, are they saying no because of this? Because I said like your brain just, and it's just like you just shut down. I've done yeah. it. I've done it simply by just walking in Walmart and seeing so many people, and it's just like you know what. I'm just going to come back later. But I tell my brain whatever excuses I'm telling myself, but it's really just that social that social awkwardness of just trying to adapt and, you know, but yeah. To your surroundings, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So how does uh, social awkwardness develop? Oh, man. Um, I think over time in here, the, the, the treatment that we have to experience is in is trying to assimilate to this environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in here, it's, it's, it's like this environment to me, I always try to describe this environment. This is like an illusion. It's not real, but it is. It's concrete and steel. There's no denying that mm-hmm. in barbed wire, okay? But the way this functions in here, the, the way you have to conduct yourself in here, it is totally opposite of what's healthy out there. You see what I'm saying? Everything in here is about surviving mm. this experience, you know. And whether you have two years or 250 years, you have to learn to survive this experience. And the things that you do to survive this experience, you know, stand to yourself in most cases. Mm. Uh, a lot of situations, joining a, a game, uh, those types of things. Uh, not, not looking directly at somebody, you know. The things that you would do on the streets, that would be considered to be cordial and polite or somehow that's personable. And here, those types of things will get you into a fight or get you killed or even get you raped. So you don't want to do that in here. You know what I'm saying? So over time, and I mean, it, it'll happen to you quick. I think it, it probably takes a few months. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, yeah, and you just, you shut down. And you it's quick. not recognize yourself. You can it's feel quick. something that's happening, but you don't know what it is. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's it's easy it's easy to fall into it and hard to get out of it, man. And I think really a lot of mine a lot of mine have happened before I got on the compound because I was on twenty three and I was on maximum security before I came to general population. And that's to me, that's another way it can form because I'm isolated to myself. And if I'm talking to somebody, I'm talking through a bit. And I did that for two I did that for two years, basically pacing my yeah. Facing my floor, talking to myself and talking to one other person that I couldn't see at all unless we went to the restaurant, which was for an hour early in the morning. So after years of being completely, basically to myself, of not being able to talk to nobody but the CEO who come to my door, they're standing in front of me in a window. By the time, by the time you place me, because I want to seek help. By the time I came, when you got me moved to Turner Center, they had me on close which was still the same thing. It was 23 and 1. So by the time I came to the compound, this was the first time I was around people for the first two and a half, almost three years of my sentence. So I remember the day they let me off a close, when I was walking my car, I wasn't terrified that I was in prison. I'm I'm aware of where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? 
I was trying to get through in my head how to develop a social life because I had been on Max and close for almost three years. So when I walked when I walked into that pod, the same thing I heard. When I walked into that pod, I heard dominoes slamming, people talking crazy on the spade table, people talking on the chest, people walking around working out, and everybody yelling and talking and moving around in and out the door, going to child, going to the shower, going to the brick yard. It about drove me crazy. It about drove me crazy. And then on top of that, people approaching me, where are you from? Like my anxiety and stress levels were so high, but I knew I had to kick in survival mode. You know what I'm saying? I, I was but they didn't, I was forcing myself then to be social. First time I have a sit First time I had a cellmate for the first time, two and a half, almost three years. That was even different for me. You know what I'm saying? And it's the same way when I walk out of prison. I get in a car with a woman. I have not been in a relationship with a woman for 10 years straight. You know, conversating on the phone. Conversating on the phone had become easy for me. It's easy for me to talk and communicate and text over a cell phone. You know what I'm saying? In prison, I ain't have to. But by the time... I'm walking out the gate to get in the car with her. I already, I was like, well, what do I do? Like, what do I say? Do I hold her hand? Do I touch her leg? Do I, do I ask her how, do I ask her how was the drive? Like, like what's her response to me? Is she finna look at me crazy? Like, does she think my haircut is such and such? Like, your brain is going crazy. Social, social, back on the subject. Social awkwardness. Like, I didn't yeah. know, yeah. know what, I didn't know how to maneuver. Even, and then when we got home, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, okay, do I let her get in the bed first? Do I get in the bed with her? Do I hold her? Do I like it yeah. was that serious? And it's yeah. scary. It's so scary yeah. because prison does not have anything in place to prepare you for what you finna walk out to. You can no, wow. no, did you take, did you take? no, nothing, nothing. Yeah. I don't even you think can, they see this. As, as was, I don't think they get it. I, I don't think the people that run these institutes, I do not think they get how serious it is. Because if they did, they'd be knowing something about it because it's scary. It's kind of like what you were just saying. You know, you become comfortable talking on the phone, and, you know, because it's, it's no contact, no human contact. But then, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, when I go to visit, I go through those same things. Like, when do I hug a certain way? I don't want to squeeze yeah. too tight. I don't want to, you know, I, did I touch her right or... You know, mm-hmm. it's like with me and you, and we give dap, you know what I'm saying? We'll dap and then we'll hug real quick like that. I'm not yeah. comfortable doing that, and you're my child. You feel yeah. what I'm saying? Because it's like weird. It's like, is this, is, I'm, in my mind, I'm questioning, am I going to get in trouble? Did I, did yeah. I hug too long? Uh, did yeah. I, you know, did I say something out of the way? The police is constantly looking at me, and it makes you feel like you cannot do anything, and then after a while, it become you become used to it, and the police you don't even used- need to say nothing to you. Ooh, you yeah. know what you can and can't do, and mm-hmm. now what you don't realize is that you've just limited yourself. Your social, yep. your socialization, how you communicate with people, it's gone. Yep. It's gone, and you're more comfortable. That's why you can see people in here, and, and Boo, you know this. Mm-hmm. You can see people in here. They can have the most fruitful conversations and relationships over mm-hmm. the phone. Oh yeah, get them in that VG. Or when they yeah. go home, oh, it don't last at all. It don't, don't last at all. No, because they don't know how to communicate face to face. Yeah, they don't have to. No, you don't. You just forget how to do it. You forget yeah, how to do it. I, I, so I, 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 was, I had a friend. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna add one more thing. I had a friend I was hanging with. 
you know what I'm saying, a couple of days ago, and she brought up something, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't have that no more where I could just walk up and approach women like, how you doing? And this is, I don't have it. I used to. I used to. And she was like, uh, if it's me, you know, she was like, I don't have a problem with approaching people. But she didn't know why. She couldn't get it, what, what I was yeah. trying to say. I didn't have it no more because it had been stripped from my personality. Because like what you just explained, my brain is wondering, did I say it right? Was it appropriate? Was the, was the, was, did I, you know, is my body going to get in trouble? Am, is, is she going to say something? Yeah. Am I going to get in trouble? Is she going to be like, no, is she like my brain is, is, is just, it's different. It's functioning different. So I have to, I told her the only way I'm doing that now is if I get some kind of eye contact that lets me know it's okay. I'm not just going right. to do it on, on, right. on the fly like I would normally do with the confidence that I have. I have to now know it, something has been initiated where, okay, this is a mutual and I can go and I can say something. But I'm still going to be a little timid going to that's some kind of form of social awkwardness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to add one more thing before we move to the next question, Anais. I remember uh, this was a while ago at another facility and I had this female supervisor that had, she had just got on the phone and was going through stuff at home. I didn't know what it was about, but anyway, she was crying, and I wanted to comfort her, but I couldn't do it. You know, I wanted to pat her on the back, you know, maybe hold her hand, even just hold her just for a second, not to try to do anything. It wasn't even about that. It was about seeing another human being that was crying in distress about whatever they were going through and not being able to comfort her and say, it's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I really just stood there like frozen. And, and she looked up at me and then, you know, she, she had a little smile on her face when she looked at me because she knew I wanted to, but I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then, you know, she ended up going home or whatever the case may be. But, but long story short, that has affected me when it comes to, like, comforting my family or something that's going on. In my mind, it's like, do this, do that. But then when I'm sitting there, whether it be in the VG or wherever, it's like, you know you can't do that. You mm-hmm. do that and then they look at it and they say you're doing something wrong, you're going to get in trouble. You know, right. so you just sit there and you become blind, you become conditioned, man, and you turn off the, the natural things in you that will tell you to comfort somebody in times of need or distress. You can't do that. And over time, you end up becoming this cold person in your mind. It's like a, a conversation is going on in your mind. In your mind, it's like you know what you're supposed to do. You're having that conversation. But then another part of the mind saying, you better not do it, I'm going to get you. Yep. You better not do it, you're going to get in trouble. So you don't do it. You just yep. don't do it. You don't do it, man. And I think people misunderstand that. They think that you become a cold, callous, non-caring person. And it's not that at all. It's just that you've been conditioned over time to believe and come to understand that any semblance of being a, a caring person is going to get you in trouble. Yep. Because they interpret you trying to lend comfort to another human being. They they interpret that as you trying to do something slick, trying to be yep. sexual. It, it, ain't, it ain't always that. You know what right. I'm saying? It's not always that. But that's how they see it, and you turn off. And people just don't understand. They think, like I said, they think you're this cold person. It's not that at all. It's just that right. I'm, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? And, 
and, and even when you when you're dealing with family, you can't do it. You know, because they're like you're holding hands too long. Stop mm-hmm. that! You can't do that, and you don't want to end the visit. You know what I'm saying? So you stop. Mm-hmm. You know, but your family member is looking at you like, you know, what's really going on? You know what I'm saying? Because how can you tell somebody how long they need to be comforted before right. that, that moment passes? It's, it's hard. It's hard. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do a drugs factor in? Well, um, drugs, um, I think drugs factor in in a lot of ways, and not for me, uh, I've never had the issue with it, except I used to smoke weed. I stopped smoking weed in 02, haven't touched it since. I don't get high or drink, there's uh, none of that. Um, but I do believe, and I know a lot of guys that they get high to try to cope with what's going on there. Yep. They smoke, drink, they do whatever's available. You know what I'm saying? And it's bad. And it's bad. And again, like I say, I don't think that people really pay attention. Everybody's screaming and hollering about prison reform this and prison reform that. It's a whole lot of layers to prison reform that need Man. to be addressed. But they don't talk about these types of things, what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Well, for they, one and, they, and that's because they got everybody sitting who has not experienced it personally. Yeah, that's right. Everybody at the table that's talking about, you know, what needs to be done, they haven't been through this in a way that it changes your whole personality. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It hasn't changed them like that. Or they haven't even been in prison. Or they're talking to somebody that doesn't even know how to express what we're talking about today so that it can become a part of what prison reform needs to be. They really need to have people in here that are talking to us, dealing with us the whole time we're in here, not six months before you get out. The whole time. The whole time. I'm talking about from the first day you walk through that gate. When that gate slams behind you, that's a traumatic thing. You've never yep. been exposed to that that door closing behind you and you can't turn around and leave. That will mess you up. The first time somebody tells you to strip, get naked. These people mm-hmm. don't know you, but they tell you to take off all your clothes, bend over, spread your cheeks, and squat and cough. That is a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And yep. you have to do that repeatedly. You feel what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. these things, somebody can, you can be using the restroom somebody can come in there and I've had this happen they'll come in there and say cut it off you're yep. out of there <gasps> you're like what what are you talking about how did you do that but oh, you got no. people that'll do that they'll push the limits they can come into the room that you're in the cell you're in and tell you to get up get out of the bed and stand over here and turn everything that you got in the cell upside down and then walk out and don't fix it and tell you to fix it and then you go back to sleep all of that messes with your psyche but yep. this is how this place runs. That's how prisons run. Mm-hmm. It does. They do things in here to purposely mess with your mind. And they believe that they're doing the right thing, but they're not. They're not. The majority of the things that they do, the tactics that they use to run prisons, they mess with your mind. And they're not messing with your mind to make you a better person. Like I remember when I went into boot camp in the Marine Corps, they said they were going to strip us down. Everything that we knew about our lives and how we uh, function out there, it was over with. They were going to strip us down and build us back up in a, into a, into a, a fighting machine, a Marine. And here, when you come in, they strip your mind down and don't replace it with anything. Hmm. Nothing. Nothing. They say that they're doing the right thing, but it's not complete. 
They don't strip you down. They dehumanize you in here. They make you feel like you are not worthy of anything or anybody's love at all. I heard this captain one time. I was at another facility. And he was training a group of people coming in. And I was in the back because I was working, you know, getting ready to prepare the meals. Because I, I prepared the meals for the officers, for the staff. So I'm in the back preparing the meals. And I don't know what brought it up, but anyway, he was telling the new recruits, he said, you're going to run into all kind of games in here. People are going to tell you this and tell you that and try to get you to do this and do that and try to make you feel sorry for them. He said, you save your compassion and your empathy for the victims, not them. The people in here, they don't deserve your compassion nor your empathy. And the moment you give it to them, you need to be putting your resignation in and leave. And I'm sitting there, I'm standing there listening to him. I'm like, dang, that's cold. Yeah. But this same captain, he'll pull up and talk to you like he cares about you and say these things. It's like a fake um, yep. concern that they exhibit towards you. You know it's fake. They know it's fake. But it's a game that you end up having to play because they have power over you. It's kind of like, and I don't want to do any comparing to what's going on out there because I don't want to belittle anything because I, I'm a supporter of women without a doubt. You know what I'm saying? But it's kind of like the Me Too movement. When you get caught in a situation where a person in authority over you can manipulate and, and break your life off in a way to where, you know, he can change your whole life. Mm -hmm. So you do these things to please this person so you can get this job, get this promotion or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. because this person has power. It's like that in here. Mm -hmm. You have to go along to get along with whatever they say do just so you can live comfortably. You know what I'm saying? And that's dealing with them. Now you got to deal with the inmates. You feel what I'm saying? Because all of us in here, we're sick, deluded mentally, and we got to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? So it's a whole lot that's going on, and it messes up your mind. And yes, you end up, well, I don't do it anymore, but you end up smoking, drinking, shooting dope, snorting dope, whatever you got to do to make it to the next minute. Not the next day, the next minute. And that's just what it is. So drugs play a big role in that, a big role. And how do you think the social awkwardness contributes to the recidivism rate? Well, like me and Boo was talking about earlier, it's like it's, it's one person that we know that he was, you know, at his job, he felt awkward at his job, not feeling like that he belonged there, couldn't fit in, you know, feeling weird about it. And he ended up quitting. How many people go through that same thing? Mm -hmm. and end up quitting the job and then going back to the streets. Going back to the streets where they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And listen to what I just said. Going back to the streets where they feel comfortable at, as opposed to doing something that's positive and productive. They feel more comfortable in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, And once they go back to the streets, you know what that leads to, you know, for most people, they're coming back. Coming back yeah. to prison. So, I, you know what I mean? It most definitely contributes to, you know what I'm saying, people going back in. I know I know plenty of people. Same example of what you said, instead of trying to be productive and do something positive, they, they run back to resulting to what they know. And that has a lot to do with, you know, their social anxiety, you know what I'm saying, their social awkwardness. You know, it has a lot to do with their their, their ability to be able to make a, a comfortable transition, a smooth transition back into society. It's so many dudes and you can tell and you can tell that they're fighting with it by just having conversations. Because not everybody who comes out of prison wants to jump back into life. Majority of people, I would say about a good 80, 85 percent actually want to do something different because that's 
that experience, you you do not. It's no way you can convince me that that there's a large percentage of people who come out of prison who are just choosing to live a life that can put them back into a place where people are telling them what to do every day, all day. You got, you know, it, it's no way you can convince me of that. But once, no, they, you, no, they don't want to come back. No, you don't want to come back. Well, when you step back out, when you step back out here and you realize it's, 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 it's a horrible feeling to, to, to know, especially, and I, and I, not to say anything, you know, this is about women or anything, but as a man, when you step out of that thing as a man and you feel like parts of you have been ripped away, parts of you, you're going to result to something to mask that yeah, part yeah. of masculinity that you feel has right. been stripped away from you. Right, You're going to right. do something to cover and hide that to where you don't look less than, less than. And when you start to do that, that, that what you have chose to do is something yeah. to keep people from seeing what you're struggling with. But you're trying to compensate. You're trying to substitute it with, oh, I'm making money. I'm helping pay the bills. But you're struggling socially. You're, you, you're, you're struggling in so many different areas because of this place. And now that you done jumped back into that, before you know it, you got a court date. Yeah, there it is. Or you violated parole? You violated your parole? And now now you got to put on another mask and act like it don't bother you, you know what I'm saying? And blame everybody else for your situation as opposed to accepting responsibility. But that leads me right into what I wanted to say about the symptoms of this thing. You know, what are some of the symptoms of PTSD? One is like intrusive thoughts such as repeated involuntary memories, distressing dreams, or flashbacks of traumatic events. You know, flashbacks may be so vivid that people feel they are reliving the traumatic experience or seeing it before their eyes. Number two, avoiding reminders of the traumatic event may include avoiding people, remember that? Avoiding places, activities, objects, and situations that bring on distressing memories. People may try to avoid remembering or thinking about the traumatic event. They may resist talking about what happened or how they feel about it. Number three is negative thoughts and feelings may include ongoing distorted beliefs about oneself or others, like I'm bad or nobody can be trusted. You know, that ongoing fear, horror, anger, guilt, shame, all of those types of things. And number four is an arousal and reactive symptoms may include being irritable, and having angry outbursts, believing recklessly, or in or behaving in a self-destructive way, being easily startled, or having problems concentrating or sleeping—all of those things, all of those things—back up what we've been talking about when you're dealing with this social awkwardness thing. And and that's one of the things. Like I say, I really, really wish that the people that are involved in this. Uh, prison reform movement would pay more attention to that. This is prison reform cannot, should not be just about saying, okay, we need to open up the doors and let more people out. I agree with that 110%, but you've got to make, be paying more attention to what you're letting out. Mm-hmm. you got to be paying attention to that now. It can't be, you know, it can't be just, we need to just get them jobs, let, teach them how to fill out resumes so they can go and work here and work there, whatever. You'd better be trying to deal with the mental that's going on with people. You got yeah. people leaving out of here that look like they got it together. Yeah. Nah, nah, they ain't got it together. It's a whole lot going on. It's a whole lot going on. You know what I mean? And what can family and friends do to help people navigate through social awkwardness? Well, the inmates. 
Well, I, I'm going to take it, and then, I'm, boo, you can, you can cap it off, okay, on that. Well, w- w- one of the things that I think family and friends can do is be patient. Be pa- recognize when it's going on, when, when they're in that mode, that you give them some space, but not too much. Don't leave them by themselves. And, and talk to them about it. You got to talk to them about it. But before you can talk to somebody about something like this, you need to get educated on it yourself and understand yep. what's going on. Especially if they've been gone a number of years, five or ten years, that's some serious time to be gone. And you need to understand that they have been through something. It's not just about coming to this place and they've been here and they've been getting three meals a day and they're working all this and that, come back out and start all over. It's not that. People coming in here and being traumatized in ways that you cannot imagine. You cannot understand what goes on in here as a visitor. You feel what I'm saying? As somebody that takes our phone calls. You cannot relate to what goes on in here and what it does to you mentally. So when you got somebody that you care about that gets out of this place, you got to be patient with them. Educate yourself on what's really going on so you can help them. And if you feel like it's too much for you, you know, seek help. Find somebody out there that specializes in PTSD, especially if it's somebody out there that specializes in PTSD when it comes to inmates, and see what they can do. You know what I mean? But go ahead, boo. And the question was how to. And let me let me hear the question. Like what? What can family and friend? What can? Okay, okay family. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna agree with what you said. I'm gonna care to that man. You know, being patient. But also, if you're to the people who listening, if you're just now being educated on it, I think once you have an idea of what could be going on, you create a, a environment to where. Uh, they 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 are comfortable with having these types of conversations because uh, with me personally I think I'm a I'm a I'm a talker you know what I'm saying I don't I don't I'm not a I don't deal with you know pride and stuff like that when it comes to me trying to better myself so if you create an environment to where you know what I'm saying they able to talk about these things or where they don't feel like they're less than a man or you judging them or you making them feel institutionalized you got to be very careful with the things you say to somebody who's come out of that place. But I think you most definitely need an environment to where you can have those types of conversations about coming out of that place. Because so many people come out of their place and just have to hit the ground running. It ain't no uh, conversation about, you know, the effect that it's had on you or how you feeling or how you adjusting. You know, they might come here and there people might say, the cause of things. Like, how you doing? You doing all right? And of course, your response is, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, boom. You keep moving. Nobody. You don't ever sit down with. You know, we went in Walmart today. You know, there's a lot of people in there. You seem a little like, how you feeling? Like you good? And don't just let them say, "Yeah, I'm good." Like try to get get them try to dig without making them feel. You know, what I'm saying no type of way. But, yeah. yeah. Cause cause with me, I know person. I didn't have it, but. I had, which I, I always been able to talk to you because we we both been there, right? And, right. And I did like my sister, like I could always vent to my sister even if she didn't know what to say. But with me, I've I've always been a I'm a I'm a talker. But I think you most definitely got to have an environment, or you got to have somebody that can try to help you, you know, filter and get those things out of your system to, uh, to be able to talk about that. That's I think that's one of the most helpful. Because if that person that's dealing with it can somebody can help them see it or help them identify it or 
if they done already identified it and seen it, if you give them the opportunity to start shining light on it, they'll find ways when they see it's hitting them to, you know, to deal with it. They'll start finding ways to deal with it versus just going into flight mode every time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's what's up. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, I really, really appreciate you, Anna East, for doing this show. You know, we're getting back on track. Uh, and Boo, thank you for, for doing this for me. I appreciate you. As always, man, love you. And uh, we'll be doing this again uh, next week. And uh, like I always say, if you like the show, uh, share it with your friends and, and uh, on Facebook, wherever you share it with, let them know that they can find it on wherever they enjoy their podcast experience. And uh, if you like it that much, uh, hit that donate button. You know, I accept all donations. I ain't turning none down. And we're trying to do something real good here and try to deter crime and educate everybody out there as about to you know, what a person experiences when they're in here. Uh, so until next time, you know, be blessed. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for using GTL.